Good morning. I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and um, we're going to jump into the Word of God together. But first, I have a question for you. Are you more like a post-it note or a lag bolt? Post-it notes are good. You can stick them to different things like this. You can um, put them onto all kinds of surfaces, and they'll hold for a certain period of time. And um, they're, uh, they're quite a value. There's uh, 50 uh, billion of them made by 3M every year in 150 different countries. Interesting, the guy who designed these actually was a scientist that worked for 3M. His name was uh, Spencer Silver, and he was trying to make a glue that would uh, have greater bonding and would be stronger and a tougher adhesive. And what he came up with was not what he expected. It was a, a glue that actually would stick lightly to surfaces, but didn't bond tightly, okay? It was removable, and it allowed attached surfaces to peel apart easily. So my question again, are you like a post-it note, or are you more like a lag bolt? A lag bolt is used to be able to fix pieces of wood together, beams together. You could build a barn or a wooden bridge out of lag bolts like this. And they're able to withstand great force and heavy weight because they're made to stick. They're made to be placed and put there. They're not like a post-it note. They're made to stand. When it comes to being faithful to God, which are you more like? Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to stand together and read this passage of Scripture. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved for the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Father in heaven, as we open your word, may the Spirit of God be our teacher. May our hearts be soil that is ready to receive and to believe and to be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, thank you. You may be seated. In this passage, and I'm sure you noted as we read through it, there's a call to faithfulness that just echoes through and is woven through the fabric of this entire text. Just to let your eyes glance down through the passage here, starting with verse 19 again, he said, we have confidence. Verse 22, he talks about the full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us uphold, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he has promised is faithful. You look down a little bit further in, in verse um, 35, don't uh, throw away your confidence. Verse 36, you have need of endurance. Verse uh, 38, but my righteous one will live by faith. And at the very end of the chapter, those who have faith and preserve their soul. So the question again is, which one of these are you like? The challenge of Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 10 is not to be a post-it note. That you can say, well, today I'm going to follow Christ, but tomorrow I may, I may choose not to. But to be a lag bolt, that you have affixed your soul to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God and to the Gospel, and you say, I'm not going to let loose of that. That's the challenge of this chapter. That's what it's about. And it's interesting that next week, Pastor Joel's going to start a series that we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. This, this challenge of who do you admire in terms of these, uh, these biblical characters who were faithful. They were lag-bolted to God. And to, to learn from their examples in the Bible Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. So this is kind of ending a whole section of the book of Hebrews for us. One of the things I want you to note about this text, though, it starts with the cross. We're going to see that from verse 19 and following. So he takes us back where he's had us focusing on Christ's sacrifice in the new covenant for us, the shedding of his blood. And he's going he's to bring that back to our attention, the cross. But throughout the passage, he also focuses on the crown, the coming of Christ. So again, I want you to just see this theme that's there. Verse 25, you see the day drawing near. Verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment. Verse 30, the Lord's coming to judge his people. And then there's the positive promise. There's a better promise, verse 34, a great reward, verse 35. You're going to receive what's promised, verse 36. And yet a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. So the passage has the cross, but the passage also has the crown. I want you to understand this. You and I are living right now between the cross and the crown. The coming of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection has already happened. That's the truth of the gospel. We want to hold fast to that. We want to lag bolt ourselves to that. But we also have the promise that Christ is coming back again. There are those who sometimes say, Bible prophecy doesn't matter. And I beg to differ. First of all, because the Bible has a lot about it. And secondly, because of the application of Bible prophecy to our lives. It's a source of comfort. It's a source of hope. 
It's an encouragement to our service to God and to purity of life. So the Bible has a lot to say about this. This passage has a lot about the coming of Christ, the crown. We're living between the cross and the crown. Friends, that's not only true of Jesus coming back again, it's true of our lives. It's interesting that the, the theme, in the, even in the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah is that he would come to be a suffering Messiah and then glory. In the same way, we in this world do suffer to enter into our glory. Well, one of the things that Christians sometimes struggle with is the idea of suffering. But friends, suffering is something that has been true of believers all through biblical history. And, and we have to understand that, but we have to understand God's provisions for suffering and his promises for suffering as we go through it. So when we think about this, I want to ask you, how do you lag bolt your soul to Christ for faithfulness, given this passage of Scripture? There are three motivations in, in this passage, three different ways in which God challenges you and me to be faithful as we live out our faith lag bolted to Jesus Christ. So live faithfully, motivated, first of all, by the cross. Start again at verse 19. Let's unpack this. He said, therefore, brothers, he's bringing some things to conclusion here. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, going back to the tabernacle or the temple where once a, day, once a year the high priest would bring the blood and would put it on the, the altar, on the, the Ark of the Covenant, here, and, and we're reminded that Jesus Christ once for all provided that sacrifice. We have now confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new way and the living way. The new way literally means by the sacrifice, by the, 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 the new way of freshly killed is what it means. Christ's death for us. And the living way points to his resurrection. He talks about through the veil, meaning when Jesus died, the veil was ripped from top to bottom that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. You and I can have access to God, it's saying, through the cross, through the gospel, through what Christ has done. And he is our high priest over the house of God. And so he brings us back to that cross. He brings us back to remember what Jesus did for us to make access to God available to all who believe in Christ. And friends, that is a privilege and a joy. But then he actually uses a term three times. Let us, in verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then in verse 24, in verse 22, let us hold full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast. And then let us consider, verse 24, one another. So he's motivating us to be able to respond to the cross by being faithful by lag-bolting ourselves to Christ. Let's look at them one at a time. He said, let us draw near because this way has been made for us with a true heart, not hypocritical, not pretending, but a genuine, authentic heart in full confidence of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. In other words, we can be forgiven. Our conscience can be clean. And God has made provision in Christ for that to be true. And our bodies washed with pure water. Remember in the, in the tabernacle that when you came into the outer courtyard, there was first the altar of sacrifice, and then there was a laver for washing. And so the author of Hebrews here brings us to that sacrifice and saying, remember that Christ shed blood is enough to be able to clear your conscience and provide forgiveness. And then remember, he's able to wash you with the washing of water by the word. And in light of that, he said, let's draw near to God. 
Let's draw near to God. Friends, Satan would try to keep you from drawing near to God by shame and guilt of sins that have already been forgiven. I want to remind you that the cross means the way is open for you to pray. The way is open for you to live a life of fellowship with God. The way is open for you to be able to draw near to God in relationship. He says the second thing that he challenges us with, he said, let's hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. Without wavering. Wavering is literally being moved off your foundation like the leaning tower of Pisa, okay? Lag bolt yourself to the foundation of Scripture. Lag bolt yourself to the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't waver. Don't waver. Hold fast. Hold fast to that profession. And, and be, why? Because he is faithful who promised. Please notice in verse 23, your faithfulness to God, your ability to lag bolt yourself to Christ has to do with his faithfulness to you. It says, hold fast your confession of faith. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. It is the faithfulness of God that God will never be anything different than who he declares himself to be. His word will never be not true. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his covenant. God's faithful. He's been faithful throughout all the, all the millennia of time recorded in the Bible. You can trust him to be faithful. Hold on. Keep a grip, he's saying. Then the third let us, he said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word consider has to do with perceiving and watching over, being concerned about, being concerned about. In other words, we need to be close enough to one another in the church that we can actually know one another and care for one another. Now look around you this morning. Look side to side. You can look back, look front. Look all the way around you, 360, for just a minute. How many of these people do you know? Not very many of them. How are you going to live out this, this let us consider one another? Friends, the only way to do that is in a small group. That's why we have small groups at Chapel Point. That's why we say to you, you need to connect in a group because you can't be known and know other people to be able to fulfill this unless you're living close enough proximity. My wife and I are in a small group. We pray for one another. We're meeting tonight. We care for one another. We walk through difficulties together. We're considering one another. And he said to be able to provoke, to provoke, to stir up one another. That word stir up is only used a couple of other times in the New Testament. It was used as a conflict between Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, where they were provoked with one another. It was also used in 1 Corinthians 13 about love not being provoked. So it's a word that can be used in a negative way about conflict, but here he's using it in a positive way. He's saying, listen, you need to be so involved with one another that you're actually motivating, stimulating one another to love, that is to love God, and love one another to experience the love of God, and out of that, good works to be able to actually serve God and serve others, so love and good works. Interesting that in the passage we've looked at already, the word faith, hope, and love are already mentioned, because that's how we lag bolt ourselves to God, by faith, hope, and love. And so he said here, we need to, we need to challenge one another to love and to good works. Some people don't see the need for that, because verse 25 says, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. You're here today because you see the value of worship. You see the value of gathering with God's people. But sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And yeah, that's true. But you do have to be with other believers if you're going to grow. 
You have to be with other believers if you're going to be able to really develop your Christian life. And, and we need one another. We need that. He said, don't, don't make a habit of neglecting. In other words, make a habit of gathering. Make a habit of gathering together and then encouraging one another. The word means to come alongside one another to be able to encourage or exhort depending on what you need. Sometimes we need a, an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes we need some little motivation a little bit lower to keep moving. And to, and to keep going, okay? He said, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of Christ's return coming. He said, we need one another. Friends, we've said it before, we'll say it again. The Christian life is personal, but it's not private. You need other believers. And you need to be close enough in proximity that you can live that out with one another. So he, he says, the cross of Christ motivates us to be faithful. Motivates us to be faithful by drawing near by holding fast, and by continuing to connect with one another. That motivates us to, to do that, to lagbolt ourselves to God. Now, beginning at verse 26, the author then gives us a warning passage. This is warning passage number four out of five in the book of Hebrews. And these are hard passages, many times hard to interpret, but we need to walk into it because it's the Word of God. So not only are we motivated by the cross, but we're motivated by the warnings. He said, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So he's saying when, when Christ has provided for us the provision of sacrifice for our sins, he warns here against deliberately continuing in sin once you claim to have embraced that sacrifice. It's a, it's a warning that we need to heed. It's a warning that we need to heed because he's telling us that there is no other sacrifice for sin. There's this fearful expectation of judgment. He, he gives an example of the law of Moses, verse 28. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Interesting that in the law of Moses, there are three different passages in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that talked about willful, deliberate sins when someone is claiming to be a part of the people of God. And he warns about that. Matter of fact, they would have been killed if they had done that. And he's saying here, if that was true of Moses, how much worse punishment, verse 29, do you think will be deserved by the one who's, and, and listen to this description, trampled underfoot the Son of God? trampled underfoot the person and work of Jesus Christ, trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of Christ, the blood of his covenant by which he was sanctified, that blood that we remember when we take communion, trampling it underfoot, profaning it, and outraged the Spirit of grace, talking about the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there's some warnings given to us about sinning against the Holy Spirit, in, in Ephesians 4.30, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And the context tells us how our words and attitudes can do that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the Bible says don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's flame when He's motivating you to do something for God or others. But here He says there is this, this warning about outraging, insulting the Spirit of grace, that is the Spirit of God that actually showed you the grace of God in the gospel. Then He said... For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's fascinating that in those verses quoted from the Old Testament, 
I looked up the context of both of them, Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 and 36, and Psalm 135, verse 14. And in that, both of those passages, there is a warning, and then there's an encouragement or a comfort. I want to read you the comfort part. Deuteronomy 32, verse 36. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Psalm 135, verse 14, again, will have compassion on his servants. So in those passages, you see the warning because of God's holiness and his righteousness and God's wrath. On the other hand, you see that God is a God of mercy and of love and of grace. And God is both of those all the time. Friends, we need to understand that we don't get to make up who God is. We discover who God is. And the cross of Christ shows the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the wrath of God, but also the grace, mercy, and love of God. And God is all of that all the time. We have to understand that. And so there's a warning that is given here. A warning about those who would turn aside and turn away from God. He, he describes it. He said, listen, the Lord will judge us people, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the season of falling in West Michigan. Snow and ice. And, and what happens when someone falls? You don't go out in the morning and say, I'm planning to fall on the sidewalk today. I'm planning to fall on my way into work today. I'm planning to fall on my driveway. Nobody plans to fall. When you fall, it's unexpected and unprepared. And he's saying it's a fearful thing to fall unprepared into the hands of the living God, who he's already described as being a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God unprepared. To not be ready to meet your creator. To not be ready to face his judgment. He said that's a fearful thing. And friends, I can't soften that because it's the word of God. So if you're here today and you've never yet trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, if you were to die today and you were to face God and you've never embraced the gospel for your own soul, it's a fearful thing to fall unprepared into the hands of the living God. But for the person who's trusted in Jesus Christ, there's, a, there's another promise that is given. Deuteronomy 33:27. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. On the one hand, it's a fearful thing to fall unprepared into the hands of the living God and experience his wrath and judgment for eternity, but it is a good thing to be able to find the everlasting arms of God to support you. Friends, each of these warning passages that were given in the book of Hebrews are dealing with apostasy. And we're seeing apostasy at new levels in the evangelical church today. We're seeing preachers and we're seeing musicians who have a national audience saying, I am deconstructing my faith. What that means is I'm walking away from the gospel. I'm walking away from the, my belief in the word of God. I'm walking away in my confidence in Jesus Christ. And friends, this warning is to people like that. And, and, and I, I wanted to say to all of you, if you ever get to the point where, where you're thinking, well, I, I think I may just walk away from Christ because the pressure is too great. It's too difficult. Friends, this warning ought to be like a light shining and saying, warning, warning, warning. There's a difference, though, between apostasy and backsliding. 
Apostasy is a person who's denying Christ, who's treading him underfoot, who is who's mocking his blood, who's, who's talking against the Bible and against the Word of God, who once claimed to believe it. That's like Judas. Backsliding is like Peter, who denied Christ but was restored, he repented, and he turned back to God. Friends, there's a difference between the two. There's a difference between the two. David sinned against God and was restored. He was restored. God delights to restore his sheep, to forgive us and to restore us. Here's what I found about passages like this. The people who should be most afraid about a passage like this often don't even pay attention to it. And the people who ought to be the most comforted often look at this passage and and begin to develop some, some real fears that God wants to bring comfort to. There's a difference between backsliding and apostasy. This is talking about apostasy. Understand the difference. And friends, we ought to t- when anybody begins to deny the Word of God, the sonship of Jesus Christ, His substitutionary death or His resurrection, that the, the salvation is by the grace of God through faith alone and Christ alone, whenever that happens, friends, get up and walk out. Don't follow anybody that denies those cardinal truths of Christianity because the Bible tells us. So what leads to apostasy? Just a couple things to share with you. What is it that will cause a person to move away that will make them a post-it note, not a lag bolt? People who walk away in apostasy, they're post-it notes. They're not lag bolts. What does it? First of all, false teaching, and the world's full of it. Persecution. In other words, they're not going to put up with the pressure of following Christ. Moral failure, and people adjust their doctrine to their lifestyle. And then departing from fellowship with God's people. Those are the things that can lead to apostasy. So friends, what should this warning passage do to you? It ought to motivate you. When I read a warning passage like this, it doesn't make me fear. It makes me want to tighten that bolt down even stronger. I want to fix that bolt. I want to fix my soul to the Word of God, to the Son of God, to the people of God. I want to fix my soul to that. That's what it does to me. This warning passage says, man, I'm not going to walk away. I want, to, I want to screw my life down into Christ and into his word and into the gospel. I hope that's your response. I hope that's your response. Don't be a postage stamp. Be a lag bolt. There's one more a motivation here, starting at verse 32. And it is the motivation of the reward. In this text, he talks about the former days, verse 32. And then in verse 36, he says, now in light of that, here's how we should live. So in the former days, he said, when you were enlightened, that is when the gospel of Jesus Christ took your blinded eyes and you could see the glories of Christ and you could see the cross and you could see who he was. And you were moved from darkness to light. He's talking about our conversion. And you endured, and he talked now about suffering, a hard struggle with sufferings. That hard struggle is a word from which we get the word athletics. The struggle of an athlete getting ready. The hard struggle of sufferings. He says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. That publicly means the theater. You're on a stage of this world, and you're, you're, you're being reproached, you're being uh, made fun of, and you're suffering affliction. This is talking about persecution. And then he says, sometimes being partners with those that were so treated. So we see others in, in different places in the world or even in the United States suffering persecution. Some of those who had compassion on in verse 34 that were in prison for their faith. 
And sometimes you actually accepted the plundering of your property, the loss of home and land and, and, and all kinds of possessions since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So persecution happens, suffering, difficulty, imprisonment, loss of property. Friends, that's happening today. It's happening in China. It's happening in North Korea. It's happening in Afghanistan. It's happening in a lot of places in the world. And sometimes Christians have this idea that we shouldn't suffer because we're followers of Christ. Remember this, we're following a suffering Savior who died for us, and the cross comes before the crown, and it does for you too. Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And yet God makes promises and provisions for how we can actually endure suffering with his help and his comfort and the provisions of God. Matter of fact, he says in verse 36, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The motivation by reward. Don't throw in the trash your confidence. Imagine with me for a moment that you received in the mail the biggest check that you've ever received. Just for fun, it's a million-dollar check. And you didn't even know it was coming, but you went to the mailbox, and you had, a, you had an envelope there. You opened the envelope. There's a check for a million dollars. Now, just supposing that you mistakenly were grinding up all the papers from that day's mail in your shredder, and mistakenly you shredded that million-dollar check. That'd be a bad day. Wouldn't it be a bad day? You know it's a worse day? When you throw away your confidence. When you throw away being lag-bolted to Christ. He says, don't do that. He says, you need to have endurance. You need to be able to stick to it so that when you have done the will of God, you can receive that promise that he has made. You can receive, you can inherit the promise because here's the promise, a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. The coming one is talking about the crown. It's talking about Christ coming back. The people look at the Bible and say, you know, that promise has been there for a long time, over 2,000 years. They said the same thing in Noah's day. God promised a flood. They had never known flood. They'd never seen rain. And all of a sudden, the downpour came. Friends, I don't care what the world says about the return of Jesus Christ. I know it's going to happen because the Bible tells me that just as he came the first time, he will come again the second time. And I know this, today I am one day closer to the return of Jesus. I'm one day closer. Every day I live, I'm one day closer. And I don't know when he's coming back, but I know he is coming back. And if you doubt that and you don't think that, you're going to live differently. If you live as if this world is all there is, you're going to live very differently than if you're living between the cross and the crown and you're saying, I'm looking forward to something better, much better much better. That's what he says. You have need of endurance because just a little while, the coming one's going to come. He's not going to delay. And then he says, but my righteous one will live by faith. That's from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3. I was going to have a show of hands. How many of you have never read the book of Habakkuk? I decided not to do that. But I want to just exhort you, before you get to heaven, you need to read it. Why? Because you're going to meet Habakkuk there, and he may say to you, hey, did you read my book? Did you write a book? You don't want to do that. Habakkuk is a great book. It's not a long book, but it's one of the minor prophets. That's the part of the Bible where the pages still stick together, okay? You need to get into those 12. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, by righteous one shall live by faith. That's quoted three times in the New Testament. Here's one 
quoted in Romans 1.17 where Paul is talking about justification by faith. It's, it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. It's an important enough verse that it's three times quoted in the New Testament. He said, listen, my righteous one will live by faith, but if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In verse 39, we're not of those who shrink back. Let me tell you what shrinking back means. Shrinking back literally means turning away. It's, you know what, the, you know what a uh, Michigan turn is? Anybody know what a Michigan turn is? We all know what a Michigan turn is. Okay, a Michigan turn pictures repentance. So you're going one direction, and now you go another. I was going after my sin and idolatry and, and living my own life for myself, and, and, and I encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God brought me to repentance and turned me now that I'm following Christ, and I'm following, I'm doing the will of God, and I want a relationship with God. That's repentance. What this is talking about, shrinking back, is reverse repentance. A person who once claimed to be a follower of Christ and turns around and goes the other way. The same thing that he was talking about in the warning here. He says, we're not like those that do that, but we're those who have faith and preserve your souls. So my question again, which are you today? Are you a post-it note? Yeah, take it or leave it. I may follow Christ, I may not. Or are you a lag bolt? By the way, I got the biggest one I could get so the people furthest back could see it. Gemmins doesn't sell one bigger than this. <laughs> are you a post-it note? Or are you a lag bolt? Is your faith and faithfulness just something you can stick it or unstick it? Don't do that, friends. Not because of the cross because of the warnings, because of the reward. Living between the cross and the crown. I want to say to you, lag bolt your soul to the Bible. Fasten your soul to the Bible. Because every word of the 66 books of the Bible are entirely and fully and completely inspired and true. You can lag bolt your soul to the Word of God. Lag bolt and fasten yourself to fellowship. Fasten yourself to fellowship. Why? You need to get connected. Friends, I just, I just I want you to know that. You cannot live the Christian life alone. God never designed us to do that. There, there ought to be after this Sunday a run on small groups of Chapel Point that are going to make Pastor Dodd's work a lot harder in the short term, but he'd love it. Because all the time he's just moving people into small groups. Fasten to fellowship. Fasten to the cross. Fasten to the cross. Friends, believe it and share it. The cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the best news this world has ever heard. There is forgiveness for sin. There is cleansing from sin. The wrath of God has been appeased by the cross of Christ. Death has been defeated by the resurrection of Christ. He lives today to be my high priest and my shepherd and my Lord. Friends, fasten your soul to the gospel. Fasten your soul to the cross. And fasten your soul to the crown. Christ is coming back again. Doesn't matter who believes it or doesn't believe it. Who mocks it and scorns it. It's going to happen. Why? Because God's not going to leave this world in the mess it's in. And people in the brokenness that they're in. God's going to make a new creation and populate it with people that are new creatures. So friend, today, fasten your soul to Christ.
you need someone to pray with you, we have a prayer room just off to my left, just through that exit. There'll be people there to pray with you. There's others of us here that would love to be able to care for you. Friends, don't be a post-it note. Be a lag bolt. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. How real and true and practical it is for our lives. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for a Savior who is ascended and enthroned and exalted and coming again. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the warnings of your word. Thank you for the fellowship we have with one another. Thank you that you will complete that which you started. Oh God, may we be found faithful because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.